Just Thinking with hosts Daryl Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking broadcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What you know, Omaha? What's going man, on, man? I, listen, listen. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad that we're back together again. Uh, I'm I'm thankful and grateful for the opportunity to do a show solo. But uh, you you well know, and I've shared this with you, uh, and and at times with the, with the listeners, man. I much more prefer uh, to do this with uh, as as your sidekick, man. You know, kicking it together with you on this show, so. Yeah, as you always say, man, at the start of every episode of the Just Thinking Podcast, we are back. Yes. Back together again, by God's grace, for another episode. And before we get started, though, bro, I need to say this. I want to commend you on the job you did last week in last week's episode Mm. on a biblical worldview of capitalism. Mm -hmm. Like you just said, you were forced to go solo for that episode because I was away at the annual conference of the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Most people may know them by NRB, by their initials. I was part of the team representing Grace to You, uh, and you had to go solo. Now, you've had, mm-hmm. to, done, you had to do that in the past, and, and like you said, I know how you feel about having to do that. But you always do a great job, man. You always do a fantastic job. So thanks for holding it down. I appreciate Last it, man. Week, I had a good did time. A great job. The the uh, episode has gotten some great feedback, mm-hmm. some great positive feedback, man. So you did a fantastic job, bro. So so thanks for good. holding it down, man. Absolutely, man. We, we had a good we had a good time while you were away, man. Yeah, yeah. Ab- about that, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We we I I I did, yeah, I, did a, I did a few little things while you yeah, were away, about that. Man. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So but before I turn it over to you, man, to, to, to share with our listeners about what a good time you had right. uh, going going solo last week. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say I hope you enjoyed yourself reading right. from your beloved elect standard version. Yes, on that episode because the non-Armenian standard Bible is back in the hizzy. It's back in the house. Huh? Back in the hizzy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff, man. Listen, I got a lot of great feedback from 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 my from my elect standard version fans, man. They, they yeah, get, man. I, I got some shout outs on Twitter, some <laughs> shout outs on Facebook, and uh, man, it was it was good. No, we had we had a great time, man. It was hilarious, and, uh, man. The, yeah. the shout outs on social media, man. Yeah, three peeps out there, man. Shout yeah, we we had, we had a great time, and and it was good. And it, there were a couple people, man, who even shouted out your. Uh, your, your moniker, of course, I, t- I, I told them up front, you're the boss. I don't give monikers. You're the one who give those to me. Uh, you know, but I was just repeating what other fans, you know, and uh, had, had, had wanted to use the Hollywood Harrison, had wanted yeah, to use man, some of yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get some of that in social media as well. Yeah, that's kind of, so I got some people out there, right? So they're pushing this sort of Hollywood nickname for me because now right. I'm out here in California. Right. I'm in L.A. County, although I live in uh, Valencia, you know, it's in L.A. County. Uh, but the only time I really go into L.A. is on Sundays when I drive into church. Right. Uh, to Grace Community Church. That's the only time I'm really going into L.A. Uh, but for the remainder of the week, you know, I'm out here in Valencia where, you know, where I live. So but right. I get it. I mean, right. and that's the thing, man, coming from the East Coast, coming from Atlanta out here to California, where I've been now for about three months, so it'll be three months on April the 12th. Mm hmm. 
Um, but this is a visage that people have of California who don't live here. Right, Ca- right, right. California right. is all Hollywood. It's all right. Hollywood. It's all movies. It's all movie stars. It's all LA. It's all the Lakers. It's all LeBron and stuff like that. But that's the visage that people have of California. Right. Who are outside of California, especially somebody like me who moved here from the East Coast. I moved here from the other side of the country. Right. And I've told people many times since I've been here, uh, you guys don't understand the stereotypical image that people have of California. So uh, I can understand where people might want to suggest, yeah, let's call him Hollywood Harrison. You know, right, right, right. Was an age kind of rolled right. off the tongue real right. well. But man, I'm so not. I'm 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 I have, I'm so far from Hollywood and and don't want to be a part of that. Right. Uh, at all. But I get where they're coming from. So, so you, so you got you got cool. yeah you got to blame your man Andrew Rappaport. Yeah yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I think I think Phil I think your boss yeah. Phil threw that out yeah. there a little bit. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so 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 I get it. If it catches on, it catches on fine. I'm cool with it. Right. Uh but don't yeah, say man, so, that. Don't ever give in to that, man. Don't ever yeah, give in to yeah. that. Yeah, and I haven't I haven't to this point. Yeah. As as you as you have uh noticed and our listeners right. have noticed, I still introduce myself by my birth name. Right, right. <laughs> and right. I want no to doubt, no do doubt that that, go- that government name. And that's a, that, that's the I t- I t- <laughs> I tell people you're the one who give the monikers. I'm I'm the I'm the I'm, you know I'm I'm Robin. You're Batman. I know my role. It's all good. So I you know I, I at the same I was just repeating what others had said in an effort to you know put it put it out there. So <laughs> I got you, man. You know what I'm most concerned about is that the NASB retains oh, its. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. You know, because you know, I man. I kind of look at the ESV as the NASB's little brother. Ah, so you know. <laughs> You're gonna always have your place, but, right, right? Right. You know, big brother gets to eat first, so I get it. I get it. <laughs> Do your thing. Do your thing, man. Do your thing. I love it. I love it. Well, man, I tell you, I tell you, Verge. One of the things I love about doing this podcast with you, man, is that we we can banter about, man. We laugh. We we laugh. We joke with one another, man. Then mm-hmm. we turn right around and, and we dive right into in. the topic. That's and right. Uh, That's right. This is one of those instances. I've been sort of. Um, you know, sort of, I don't want to say teasing it up, but I've been doing some communication on social media prior to today when we're recording this episode. Mm-hmm. Just letting folks know that this is probably going to be the most significant episode we've done. And we've done almost 70 of these episodes. Mm-hmm. We're not quite at 70. We launched back in December of 2017. Mm-hmm. We essentially took December of 2018, January and February of 2019 off. So for almost three months, we didn't do new episodes because I was transitioning from Georgia to California. Right. Uh, so we came back, what, about a month ago or so with a new yep. episode. And, we, and this is our, I think this may be our fourth or fifth uh, episode of 2019. Right. But of all the episodes we've done, I've never felt a burden for what we're going to discuss like I'm feeling for this episode here, mm. in which we're going to be talking about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, which I think is a necessary subject. It's always necessary to talk about Christ, mm-hmm. but here we are. Uh, what a couple of uh, Sundays from resurrection Sunday. And let me put a caveat out here because uh, just, just hang in there with me on this one, Omaha. Let me just put I'm something with out there real quick. Mm-hmm. I tweeted something out this morning. We're recording this episode on Sunday, April 7th. 
I tweeted something out this morning where I mentioned Resurrection Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with, with Christians, you can't win sometimes. You can't win. Right. So Christians can be some of the most critical, mm-hmm. some of the most fault-finding people in the world. Yeah, did you get, you get Jesus juked or something? What happened? I got, well, I got, here's what I got. Uh, every day is Resurrection Sunday. Right, that's the Jesus juke right there. Yeah, I get that. I get that. <laughs> but see, I can't win. So I, I, I refer to it as Resurrection Sunday as opposed to Easter Sunday. Because you know the you know what would have happened yeah. if I'd have referred to it as yeah, Easter Sunday. Yeah, that would have been a whole other level of Jesus juking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd have got it from the other side. Right. See, you might want to explain, man. I'm, I'm going to give you the mic right now. You might want to explain <laughs> Even I have never heard that term before. You've never heard of Jesus juke, bro? Never heard of that one before. I'm going to give you the mic, man. Go ahead and break that one down for us. A Jesus juke is where you you put out Jesus, (laughs) right? And they up you one more Jesus than what you have. So that's a Jesus juke. So here you said the re- you you were mentioning resurrection, you know Sunday. Every day is resurrection, so that's a Jesus juke. They, uh, yeah, they, they say want every up. Sunday's resurrection right, right, Sunday. Right, right, right. So you got Jesus juke. I know that. I know that. But Christians, I tell you, man, you know, there's there's this. And I may have to write something on this. I haven't created a hashtag on it yet. Mm-hmm. But there's a sense in which Christians remind me of vultures. Mm. You ever seen vultures? You ever those on those nature programs, Omaha? You see vultures where they just sort of hover around. They see yes. they, they hover around uh a, a, their their potential meals. Not dead yet, but they're looking for weaknesses right, right. and they're just waiting for it to die. They're just right. They just hover around. I've seen vultures <laughs> even land right next to the the the, the nearly dead animal. And they're right. just waiting for the waiting animal for to die. And right. then they pounce. Right. And they pounce and pick it apart right. bit by bit. That's what some Christians remind me of, especially on social media. They're just they're yes. like vultures. They just kind of yes. hover around. They're never trying to uh, uh, understand the, the context of what you said. Right. But they look for an opening. Uh, a mis- uh, it, it, it's not a mistake, but they just look for an opening to criticize and critique something that you said without even trying to understand the context of what you said. So that's what I mean when I say, you know, as a Christian, you just can't win with Christians. You cannot right. win. Right. So. I, I just call that Jesus juking, man. Yeah, okay. I, I, I'll yeah. be on the lookout for that next time. But that's, <laughs> it's just, there's nothing you can – there's no – I don't care how how perfectly worded or constructed your comment is. Right, right. And I know you're thoughtful about that. You don't just throw stuff out there. I don't just yeah, throw yeah, something know, out I there. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, lighten up, Christians, okay? Lighten right. up, please. Right. Lighten up, all right? I just want to say good. that, man. That's, that's just, good. Just, you get you you got you got that off your chest, man. You feel yeah, I better? Got, I got I got I got that off my chest for now, man. But, <laughs> man, who knows, man? Right, you might have to circle back. Right, right, we right. We might have to circle back on that. Right. We might have to do an episode. Time episode to, just on that on Jesus juking. Jesus juking. <laughs> but uh, I got it. On a serious note, we want to talk about in this episode with uh, Resurrection Sunday coming. In a couple of weeks from today, yes. we want to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally, maybe you have been this week as well, Omaha. I don't know. You can share if you want to, but I know I've been uh, just in a in a, a, a an oddly focused uh, state of mind mm-hmm. uh, preparing for this topic because uh, if you've ever listened to R.C. Sproul's series on the holiness of God or read mm-hmm. his book, 
he talks about, and I'm paraphrasing here, he's talk, he talks about how that topic, the holiness of God, I mean, how do you even talk about that? Right. Knowing that you're the sinner that you are, how do you right. even talk about a subject like that? Well, I kind of right. feel like that with this topic that we're dealing with today mm-hmm. on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who am I to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Right. Who am I to talk about that? And yet, God has so ordained mm. that his elect, who are sinners, mm-hmm. saved, yes, somebody's going to listen to the, to me say that, that I just said, and they're going to point out, yeah, we're, but we're saved sinners. Yes, I know that. Mm-hmm. I know they're going to Jesus juke this episode, Omar. Right, right. But we're sinners. Yeah, we're saved, but we're still sinners. So so it's in, in, in that that sort of uh, uh, filter It's through that kind of filter mm. that I was really burdened about this, uh, this topic uh, this week. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but it's a topic that I think is, is, is very timely given the fact that we're, we're, we're going to be uh, uh, commemorating his resurrection here in a couple of uh, Sundays. Yeah. I'll just, I'll add this briefly, man, as, as you kind of get, get your thoughts. I, <clears throat> for me, when you, when you mention the topic as, as we do, as, as you've explained in the past, when we, you know, jump in the top, just kind of throw some things back and forth. I remember when you sent me your heartbeat about, Hey, I want to talk about the resurrection of Christ and, and, and his impact on humanity. And, and I thought, wow, that one, I thought that's awesome. But I, 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 I kind of did like the other people. I thought, Man, we're, we're, we're a little bit early, but then the more and more I thought about it, the more I thought, why would we not, why would we not spend time uh, talking about this, amplifying the, uh, the, the impact of Christ as we go into uh, you know, a, a holiday season, if you will, a holy season, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, with regard to to thinking about about the resurrection and and just, just its importance. And so I, I got the more I thought about it, the more excited I yeah. got about it. And uh, and I thought, wow. And then when you when you began to uh, kind of put it out there in the social media space, uh, I just got I just felt like, man, this is it. I, I said on the previous episode that we did that that I did on. On capitalism, I, I so respect you. Uh, you you have a you have your finger on the pulse, whether it's a whether it's kind of a, a spiritual gifting or or what have you. I don't know. I just feel like you have a, a really good idea of where to go and why and how to speak. How we should be using this platform to speak prophetically, to speak truthfully, right? Uh, about issues, and so I, I'm I'm excited about this and, and and look forward to jumping into it. Yeah, I'm glad you added that caveat there at the end. So when we say speak prophetically. Okay, right, right, we're not right. talking about in the TBN charismatic, um, you know, crystal ball kind right. of sense. You know, right? I'm not. We're not decreeing and declaring. Okay, <laughs> no. We're talking about speaking truth. Absolutely. Okay, we're we're talking about speaking objective truth, as the scriptures dictate what truth is. Absolutely. Okay. So 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 thanks for adding that caveat there, mm-hmm. uh, Omaha. So we're talking in this episode about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just begin by saying prior to my relocating from Georgia to California about three months ago now to serve here at Grace to You, I wrote an article on my blog and I entitled it Angry at Sin. Angry at Sin. Now, if any of you who are listening 
to this episode are interested in reading that article, you can access it either by going to my blog site at justthinking.me. That's one word, justthinking.me. Or alternatively, you can wait until this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast is released on Wednesday, April 10th. And we're going to have that article. We're going to have that blog article linked in the episode notes. Um, But if you want to check it out, it's called Angry at Sin. And you can check it out at my blog, excuse me, at justthinking.me. Now, I was compelled to write that article after a very good friend and dear brother of mine died unexpectedly of a heart attack last year, 2018, the summer of 2018. Now, I won't mention this brother's name out of ref- out of respect for his surviving wife and family because I don't have their permission. I, I, I would want to have their permission to do that. So given that, I'm just going to refer to him by his initials. His initials were CK. Okay, so you're going to hear me refer to him as CK. So CK died unexpectedly last year. And I, I believe he was only in his mid-40s when he died. Now... In the blog article, Angry at Sin, I argue in their article that it wasn't really heart failure that caused the death of my friend CK. Nor, conversely, nor was it a heart attack that killed my father at the age of 64, nor was it HIV AIDS that took the life of my brother at only 34 years of age. I mentioned my brother and my father uh, in that article, Angry at Sin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in that article, I argue that it wasn't the physiological or biological uh, consequences that killed either of those gentlemen. Ultimately, what caused the demise of each of them and what will cause the demise of you and me, Omaha, barring the Lord's returning to this earth is sin. Sin is actually what killed them all. Mm. Hence, why I titled the article Angry at Sin, because death is the byproduct of sin. The Apostle Paul makes this very clear in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, which I will read from the non-Armenian <laughs> Standard Bible translation. Mm-hmm. Paul makes this clear. He says, therefore, just as through one man, that one man being Adam, Just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul says that death entered the world through or as a result of sin. Hence, again, why I titled the blog article Angry at Sin. Because biblically speaking, sin is the direct and material cause of all death that we experience in this life. Mm. Death is the enemy of believers. Death is our enemy. Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 25 and 26, where speaking of Christ, he says this. For he, that is Christ, must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 
the last enemy that will be abolished is death. So that's the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 25 and 26. Death is our enemy. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the verse that I just read, that word enemy is translated in the Greek as ekthros, E-C-H-T-H-R-O-S, ekthros, which denotes something that is viewed as odious, hated, or extremely hostile. Now, that word enemy or ekthros in the Greek, that word is not limited only to how we are to view death, but it also refers to those who are at enmity with God by virtue of their sin. For example, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Paul writes this, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, that same Greek word for enemies, ekthros, is used for enemies both in 1 Corinthians 15.26 as well as Philippians 3.18. And on this matter of enmity, while we're speaking about that and our being enemies of God as sinners, I want our listeners to consider these sobering words from John Owen, the Puritan John Owen from his book, Indwelling Sin in Believers. Mm. Listen to what Owen says with respect to our being enemies of God. Quote, it is God himself that sin sets itself against. Sin is enmity to all of God and to every way in which we have to do with him. There is nothing about him which it does not oppose. No truth, not duty, private, public, in the heart and external works. Whatever has most of God has most of its opposition. It is not really opposed to false religions and superstitions for God is not in them. All its direct enmity is against God, and this should surely move us to have a perpetual, constant watchfulness over ourselves. Sin hates the yoke of the Lord. Every act of sin is a fruit of our being weary of God. Mm. This is enmity against him and aversion from him. When Christ comes with his spiritual power to conquer the soul to himself, he has no quiet landing place. There is no ground but what he must fight for. The mind, the affections, the will are all secured against him. Unquote. That was John Owen from his book, Indwelling Sin in the Believers. Did you catch that on how, where, where Owen said, every act of sin is mm-hmm. a fruit of our being weary of God? Yeah, that's powerful. That's a power. Wow. I mean, yeah, that, 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 caught, that caught my attention as you walked through it. I thought, wow, that's incredibly powerful. So scripture is clear. 
scripture is very clear. Death is our enemy and we should view it with righteous anger and disdain. Now, we're often saddened by the death of a loved one. We're saddened when someone we love dies, but we're seldom angered by it. But when we look at death through the objective lens of Scripture, it should both sadden and anger us Mm. that death exists at all and that it is sin that gives death life, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So there's almost a, a paradox there when we look at it through the lens of Scripture. It is our sin that gives life, life. to death. Death, wow. Any thoughts on that, Omaha? <clears throat> uh, quite a few, man. You, when, first of all, what you just said, I think, is something that we've got we've to kind of contemplate and think, think through that, that you said it is, it is sin that gives death life uh, the, or that gives life to death. It's, that's incredibly, incredibly powerful, but it reminds me of two things. And the first, I want to go back to the blog article that you wrote on the subject when that you mentioned earlier, <clears throat> the blog article, Angry at Sin. And I, be, because of the fact you, you talked about this and mentioned it, I went back and kind of t- took a look at that article. I would just encourage others to go take a look. It, it, I remember when you wrote it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think I told you shortly after on, on one of our podcasts, how it, how it impacted me and how it was incredibly thoughtful. I really enjoyed uh, reading it. And it gave me a new perspective, both in that we are, should be saddened, but also angry at the same time by the fact that sin causes death. In the article, though, you mentioned Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, which says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. And you explain in the article that th- that we're only 48 verses in the book of Genesis. And this mm-hmm. is the first time that we run into the Hebrew verb uh, to die in the scripture. Uh, and then later, a few verses later, in fact, we have Satan tempting Eve <clears throat> and suggesting that she shall not surely die. So you mentioned all of this. Uh, in the article, it's kind of the setup for the fact that we, that that death is then given life through the actions of mm-hmm. Adam and Eve. Uh, and one of the things, again, that struck me about about both your article and something that I heard John MacArthur say uh, later, he he asked the congregation uh, something similarly su- similarly related to to the point that you're making. When and I can't remember, I think it, I think he was talking through Romans, maybe it was Romans six. But he asked this question, and I thought it was interesting. How do we know that all men sin? How do we know that all men sin? And, and the answer, of course, was that we know all men sin because all men die. Bingo. And uh, exactly. yeah, death is, is the indication that we have all sinned and fallen short of mm-hmm. the glory of God. And it was your article and the, and the you know, words of MacArthur in that sermon that really stamped the idea of how inextricably death is related to sin and sin related to death. I, I think this is something that we know cognitively, right. uh, but, all, but also experientially through, through what you wrote. And, uh, you, you know, you mentioned earlier in, in this episode about your brother and we, we have that in common. My brother yeah. died uh, of, of HIV AIDS. We've talked about that mm-hmm. uh, on, on the, on the podcast, uh, how, how, how strange it was. Both of us had the exact same experience in, mm-hmm. in our family yep. and, and, and the emotion from time to time 
that that causes. And and for the first time, I've I've attached his death not simply to the disease that 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 took his life, but the fact that that sin brought death. And right. uh, and and I think that's a powerful combination. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing those thoughts, Omaha. I appreciate that, man. Now, someone listening may be asking themselves at this point in the episode, what does all this talk about death have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? What does death have to do with his resurrection? Well, it has to do with it because Christ himself died. The truth is that unless and until we, as professing followers of Jesus Christ, have a proper biblical understanding of not only that death is a reality, but why death is a reality, we will never appreciate the significance of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead, but his resurrection was the consequence of his death, which was, re- which was required in order to propitiate or satisfy the wrath of an altogether holy, righteous, and just God for our sins. Mm. Listen to what Lewis Burkhoff, I know he's your boy when it comes to systematic theology, Omaha. Listen to what Burkhoff writes on this issue in his systematic theology. Quote, the sufferings of Christ did not come upon him accidentally, nor as the result of purely natural circumstances. They were judicially laid upon him as our representative and were therefore really penal sufferings. The redemptive value of these sufferings results from the following facts. They were born by a divine person who, only in virtue of his deity, could bear the penalty through to the end and thus obtain freedom from it. In view of the infinite value of the person who undertook to pay the price and to bear the curse, they satisfied the justice of God essentially and intensively, unquote. Wow. Wow. Oz Burkhoff from his Systematic Theology. Mm -hmm. So death exists because of sin. Christ lived, died, and rose from the dead in order to break forever the power of sin that results in both our spiritual and physical death. Now, on that note, speaking of John MacArthur, listen to what MacArthur writes in his book, The Murder of Jesus, a book which I highly recommend if you've not read it. And I don't say that just because I work at Grace to You. The Murder of Jesus is an is incredible account and a a a a multi-layer drill down of what was involved in the crucifixion of jesus but Mm -hmm. macarthur says this in the book the murder of jesus about the significance to believers of the death of christ on the cross quote it was god's own wrath against sin god's own righteousness and god's own sense of justice that Christ satisfied on the cross. The shedding of his blood was a sin offering rendered to God. His death was not merely a satisfaction of public justice, nor was it a ransom paid to Satan. 
neither Satan nor anyone else had any right to claim a ransom from God for sinners. But when Christ ransomed the elect from sin, 1 Timothy 2, 6, then the the ransom price was paid to God. Mm. Christ died in our place and in our stead. And he received the very same outpouring of divine wrath in all its fury that we deserved for our sin. It was punishment so severe that a mortal man could spend all eternity in the torments of hell. And still he would not have begun to exhaust the divine wrath that was heaped on Christ at the cross. Wow. Unquote. Now, On that note, John Stott, in his classic work, The Cross of Christ, said this. The notion of substitution, which I want to say parenthetically uh, on that word substitution, I want to say parenthetically, that's exactly what occurred when Christ died on the cross for his Mm -hmm. select, Mm -hmm. for his elect, that he was our substitute. But Stott says that the notion of substitution is that one person takes the place of another. Especially in order to bear that person's pain and so save him or her from it. Such an action is universally regarded as noble. It is good to spare people pain. It is doubly good to do so at the cost of bearing it oneself. Wow. Unquote. Omaha, what you got on that? Wow, man, that was all, all of that's ridiculous. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Um, and and I, I don't I don't believe we can. I thought the, the two authors you quoted, uh, Stott and, and was it MacArthur? Yeah. Were, were just the, the way that they captured the ideas and thoughts were just were just powerful. But I don't think we can in, in our human condition, in our wildest imaginations, fully understand what Christ did on our behalf in ransoming us. Um, when I think about it, I, I, I immediately turn to Ephesians chapter one, verses seven through 12. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read this really quickly. It says in him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. I'll stop there. The, the word redemption there in, in the Greek, apolutrosis, which means a, a a release affected by payment of ransom, a release affected mm, by payment of ransom. Mm-hmm. Now, when, when I think of this, or I teach this particular section of scripture, man, I'm, I'm always reminded of the image of a slave in a slave market. Uh, I mean, you might remember those mm-hmm. pictures when you were in high school during, you know, during the February Black History Month, when they, yeah. they, they take you through that, that, that little portion in the, in the history books about slavery yeah. and, and what have you, of course, have read, you know, countless books on, on issues around slavery and have seen some of this imagery of a slave on an auction block to be sold mm-hmm. to slave traders to the mm-hmm. highest bidder. Mm-hmm. Now for the, the first time that, that I, I recognized as, as I read about this kind of redemption, I immediately thought of that imagery and, and I immediately thought uh, of that person, that, that slave that's being sold off as, as myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, I'm the, I'm the slave being sold mm-hmm. off to the sin, to my own sin, to the mm-hmm. highest bidder, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, this, this slavery would eventually lead to my death as evidenced by my slave condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, as, but as I read about redemption, though, I'm imagining Jesus stepping from 
the auction uh, area, walking up and purchasing me off of the slave block, wow, man. making payment for my ransom in full. Wow. And, and then here's the crazy part, offering me sonship as adopt as an adopted heir of wow. God himself. Wow. Come on, that's what I think of, man. That's what I think of. So as as you as you mentioned earlier, our ransom and redemption, it should not be taken lightly. It's it's unimaginable for us to comprehend what Christ actually did on our behalf. That, my friend, was a fantastic illustration. I appreciate you uh saying that, Omaha. That was Mm -hmm. a fantastic illustration, man. That's exactly that's the perfect that's the perfect picture. The perfect picture. Uh, you know, in, in most instances, when we think of the term uh, resurrection, when we think of that term, we tend to think of it in terms of life, living, vitality, et cetera, you know, kind of along those lines. But with, mm-hmm. if we are to view the resurrection of Jesus through a, a proper theological lens, we have to begin with his death on the cross, not his resurrection from the grave. So really, Again, going back to the question earlier, somebody may be asking, well, what in the world does all this talk of death have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? Well, again, if we're going to have if we're going to have a proper biblical understanding of the resurrection, we must begin with Jesus's death mm-hmm. on the cross, not his not his resurrection from the grave. Bert Parson kind of Parsons kind of makes this point in the April issue of uh, Ligonier Ministries Table Talk magazine. Mm hmm. Burke Parsons says this, he says, all professing Christians know that the cross is important, but we often fail to grasp the all-encompassing significance of it, that the cross is not only at the heart of our faith, but it encompasses the entire existence of our faith, Mm. our life, and our worship. In order for us to possess a proper theology of the cross, and this is exactly my point, Parsons says, in order for us to possess a proper theology of the cross, the reality of Christ and him crucified must possess us in all that we believe and in all that we do. Mm. So again, when we're talking about the resurrection, so much emphasis is going to be placed in pulpits and churches all around the world here in a couple of weeks on Jesus rising from the grave. Right. And that's obviously significant. I shouldn't even have to say that. Right. But I will. That's obviously significant. But we must begin, as Burke Parsons said here, we must begin with the reality of Christ and him crucified. Mm. That's where it starts. So, yes, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is fundamental to Christian orthodoxy. If we get the doctrine of the resurrection wrong, Mm everything else about the Christian faith collapses in on itself. Mm-hmm. We must get that doctrine right. We must have a right theology of the resurrection. As my favorite Puritan, Thomas Watson, mm-hmm. by the way, Verge, who's your favorite Puritan? Let me just take it. You here. know what? I, I, I'm, I'm still walking through Puritans. I, I've yeah. kind of adopted yours as, as Watson. Cause I, I think man, maybe fourth or fifth episode, you hit me to Watson and some kind of, Kind of walking, walking through that, and and uh, and so that, that that's where I'll land for now. I've I've read a few, but Watson's work, based upon your recommendation, has been where I've landed. That's cool. There's so many great ones out there, man. So mm-hmm. take your time getting to uh, getting getting through them. But Thomas Watson uh, wrote a book called A Body of Divinity, which which mm-hmm. I highly recommend. He says this, you know, again, 
going back to the point of us getting our doctrine right about the resurrection, Watson says this in A Body of Divinity, quote, believe this doctrine of the resurrection, believe this doctrine of the resurrection, that the same body that dies shall rise again and with the soul be crowned. Mm-hmm. Without the belief of this, and he uses the Latin phrase, tota coruit religio, mm. without the belief of this tota coruit religio, all religion falls to the ground. That is, mm-hmm. all of Christianity falls to the ground. If we don't get the doctrine of the resurrection right, all of Christianity falls to the ground. Now, likewise, in sort of dovetailing on, on what Watson just said in the body of divinity, what I just quoted from him, the Princeton theologian B.B. Warsfield, um, and I could probably make a great trivia question out of this. What does the B.B. stand for, for all of our listeners out there who are really uh, our reform listeners especially ought to know? But now, wait a minute. I, here's, a, here's the thing. I don't even I don't even think I know. I, uh, I've read Warfield's work. I, I, and it, look, I just Googled it. Benjamin Breckenridge. I got yep. it. Benjamin yeah. Breckenridge Warfield. Yeah. Uh, so B.B. Warfield was a, a theologian taught at Princeton. He said in an essay that he wrote titled The Resurrection of Christ, a Historical Fact. He originally published mm-hmm. that essay back in 1884 in the Journal of Christian Philosophy. But Warfield said in The Resurrection of Christ, a Historical Fact, he said this, quote, It is a somehow difficult matter to distinguish between Christian doctrines and facts. The doctrines of Christianity are doctrines only because they are facts. And the facts of Christianity become its most indispensable doctrines. Mm. The incarnation of the eternal God is necessarily a dogma. No human eye could witness his stooping to man's estate. No human tongue could bear witness to it as a fact. And yet, if it be not a fact, our faith is in vain. We are yet in our sins. On the other hand, the resurrection of Christ is a fact an external occurrence within the cognizance of men to be established by their testimony. And yet it is the cardinal doctrine of our system on it. All other doctrines hang. Mm. So here we are, we are reading one theologian after another. Reemphasize the fact that the doctrine of the resurrection is the cornerstone of the Christian faith, the cornerstone. I have one more for you. Dr. Greg Allison, in his book, Historical Theology and Introduction to Christian Doctrine, says this, quote, the church has historically believed that Jesus Christ rose on the third day following his crucifixion and then ascended into heaven 40 days later. It has pointed to the resurrection as God's seal of approval on the death of Christ as complete payment for humanity's sin and as a promise of the final bodily resurrection of all believers. And the church has underscored the importance of the ascension as a guarantee that Christ has received glory and honor and now rules with authority over the entire universe. The church has had to defend this conviction against many challenges, ranging from denials of Christ's actual death to charges that the disciples merely hallucinated 
in believing Christ to be alive. Other attacks, Allison says, other attacks have focused on the impossibility of such a miraculous occurrence or poked fun at the idea of a physical ascension into heaven. While unique in its claim to a resurrection and ascension of its founder, the church has historically maintained that Christianity stands or collapses on the reality of these events. So, I mean, one theologian after another consistently speaks to the significance and the importance of Christians getting the doctrine of the resurrection right. If we don't have that right, there is no Christianity. Now, I want to point back to something Allison just said that I just quoted from, again, his book, Historical Theology and Introduction to Christian Doctrine. Allison said that other attacks have focused on the impossibility of such a miraculous occurrence or poked fun at the idea of a physical ascension, that is Christ's physical ascension into heaven. Now I want to revisit Allison's statement for a few moments longer, because over the course of church history, one of the more notable attacks on the idea of the, of the physical resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ was a doctrine known as docetism. Docetism is spelled D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M, docetism. Now, the word docetism is derived from the Greek word dokine, which means to seem. Mm -hmm. So docetism is a heresy that denied the true humanity of Jesus Christ, that he only seemed or appeared to be a real human being. For centuries, the church has found itself in the position of having to refute this heresy. Mm -hmm. And one of the best examples, excuse me, one of the best examples is found in Articles 18 and 19 of the Belgic Confession of Faith on the Incarnation and the Two Natures of Christ. So Article 18 of the Belgic Confession is on the Incarnation, that is, Christ coming into the world in human flesh, and Article 19 of the Belgic Confession speaks to the two natures of Christ. So, But I want to read this because this is germane to the doctrine of the resurrection of Christ and the fact that he rose, sorry, he died and rose bodily. Okay, he died bodily and he rose bodily. And the Belgic Confession defends this beautifully, I think. So just hang in there while I quote a few paragraphs from Mm -hmm. the Belgian Confession of Faith. Quote, So then we confess that God fulfilled the promise which he had made to the early fathers by the mouth of his holy prophets when he sent his only and eternal son into the world at the time set by him. The son took the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man, truly assuming a real human nature with all its weaknesses except for sin, being conceived in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit without male participation. And he not only assumed human nature as far as the body is concerned, but also a real human soul in order that he might be a real human being. For since the soul had been lost as well as the body, he had to assume them both to save them both together. Therefore, we confess against the heresy of the Anabaptists 
who deny that Christ assumed human flesh from his mother, that he shared the very flesh and blood of children, that he is fruit of the loins of David according to the flesh, born of the seed of David according to the flesh, fruit of the womb of the Virgin Mary, born of a woman, the seed of David, a shoot from the root of Jesse, the offspring of Judah, having descended from the Jews according to the flesh, from the seed of Abraham, for he assumed Abraham's seed and was made like his brothers except for sin. In this way, he is truly our Emmanuel, Mm -hmm. that is, God with us. Mm -hmm. The confession continues. We believe that by being thus conceived, the person of the Son has been inseparably united and joined together with human nature in such a way that there are not two sons of God, nor two persons, but two natures united in a single person, with each nature retaining its own distinct properties. Thus, his divine nature has always remained uncreated, without beginning of days or end of life, filling heaven and earth. His human nature has not lost its properties, but continues to have those of a creature. It has a beginning of days. It is of a finite nature and retains all that belongs to a real body. And even though he, by his resurrection, gave it immortality, that nonetheless did not change the reality of his human nature. For our salvation and resurrection depend also on the reality of his body. But these two natures are so united together in one person that they are not even separated by his death. So then, what he committed to his father when he died was a real human spirit which Mm -hmm. left his body. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, his divine nature remained united with his human nature even when he was lying in the grave and his deity never ceased to be in him, just as it was in him when he was a little child, though for a while it did not show itself as such. These are the reasons why we confess him to be true God and true man, true God in order to conquer death by his power, and true man that he might die for us in the weakness of his flesh, unquote. Quotes on that uh, thoughts on that Omaha on that quote Bro, from the Belgian confession. Man, that's one. That's a great confession, and uh, you know, I, I, I love the, the the Belgian confession. I love those older confessions of faith that we can yeah. go back to and really. I mean, they they took the time to think through these ideas and and attach them uh, to the basis of scripture, um, and we can 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 take a look growth. I mean, that what you just read. If someone wanted to take the time and really understand uh, the, the nature and deity of, of Christ, the hypostatic union, I mean, there's all kind. The Christology is in there. I mean, there's all there's all different types aspects of of theological ideas and thought that that are a part of that. But my thought was this: as you study church history, man, you begin to learn the vast number of of heresies that yeah. that attacked the doctrine of the resurrection. Yeah. Now they usually did this by misrepresenting the deity of Christ, or or misrepresenting the the humanity of Christ, like the Gnostics, as you kind of alluded to. Uh, you you begin to be amazed as you understand that it's only the action of God Himself that that preserving His word, preserving the truth throughout human history, that we can even understand 
the true nature of God and man or, or, or things like the hypostatic union. Yeah. Uh, in fact, Paul begins to deal with some of the some of the early indications of the Gnostics in his letter to the church at Colossae, right? In uh, Colossians chapter one, verses 15 through 18, we, we have some of the most powerful Christology mm-hmm. in the New Testament mm-hmm. that amplifies the deity of Christ. I want to yep, read verse, verse, verse 18, uh, Colossians 1, 18. It, it really amplifies the point that, that you made uh, earlier, and, and it gets us to the, to the nature, the important nature of getting, the important nature, rather, of getting Jesus correct in order to understand the true power of the resurrection. It says this, and he, that being Jesus, is the head of the body of the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that mm-hmm. in everything he might be preeminent. Mm-hmm. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, and making peace by the blood of his cross. What wow. what what you shared was important. The reason why it's important to get the doctrine of the resurrection, the deity of Christ, the nature of Christ correct is because of what happens in time in that he, the God man, redeems us, making peace with God the Father through his blood on the cross. That's why it's important to get the nature of God and man correct. And and this is this is what helps us to understand even more fully the magnitude of the price that was paid, as well as the power that we possess over sin through Christ. And you know what, Omaha, I'm going to stay in Colossians, man. I'm going to go ahead and and, uh, and ride that ship that you just uh, brought into port, man, because that's a great point that you bring up. Colossians is a great uh, book when it comes to both the humanity of Jesus mm-hmm. and the deity of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Dwelling in him simultaneously. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go with Colossians 2.9. Uh, and this is a very, very explicit verse with respect to the humanity of Jesus and his deity. Colossians mm-hmm. 2, 9 from the NESB, for in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Amen. Okay, so if you ever want to text, if you ever uh, engage, for example, with the Jehovah's Witness or any other uh, person who subscribes to a philosophy or a worldview that denies the deity of Jesus, mm-hmm. take them to Colossians, take them to Colossians 1, 18, where Virgil just read, or take them to Colossians 2, 9, mm-hmm. um, that I just read. Uh, and I'm going to go to uh, the gospel of John as, mm-hmm. as well for a verse that is not often mentioned when it comes to the, uh, the, uh, the deity of Jesus and uh, uh, his humanity as well. So let's mm-hmm. go to John 17 real quick and uh and i'm going to try to find this verse here because it came up um actually in church today and it it, it kind of triggered uh in my mind it says wow that's a great text with mm. respect to um christ's pre-existence mm. you know and, and 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 his not being created as we just uh as we just read so Okay, so so yeah, and one more verse. There's one more verse that I think testifies uh, also very well to the uh, two natures of Christ, his humanity and his deity. And this is in a text that's not often mentioned uh, when it comes to us being um, uh, apologetics, uh, apologists rather, about uh, this particular issue. But I want to take you to John chapter 17, verse 5. Mm-hmm. John 17, 5, this is where we have the highest priestly prayer of Jesus just before he is taken away 
to face his, uh, his crucifixion. In John 17, 5, Jesus prays this. He says, now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Mm. Before the world was. Now, that phrase declares unambiguously the deity of Jesus, the mm-hmm. pre-existence of Jesus before the world began. Okay, so again, I don't mean to sound repetitive, but we must hammer this point home. It is so critical that when we're defending the G- the deity of Jesus or the resurrection of Christ, which we just talked about, the church has had to do for centuries. Mm-hmm. We must understand who Jesus is with regard to his human nature, possessing a fully human nature and a fully divine nature. As you mentioned the term earlier, uh, Omaha, in in theology, it's called the hypostatic union. Um, And and we may find some resources to link in the episode notes that will help folks understand that better if that's a new term for you. But just one more thing on this heresy of docetism. One more point I want to make on that uh on that issue and it may come to as a surprise it may come as a surprise to many of our listeners that islam islam holds to a docetistic view of the resurrection of jesus Mm -hmm. in the quran in surah 4 verses 157 and 158 the quran testifies to this docetistic view of jesus's resurrection now, remember, this, is, this, again, is why it is so critical for us to understand that Jesus had a human nature. In Surah 4, and this is what Islam teaches, quote, they denied the truth and uttered a monstrous falsehood against Mary. They declared, quote, we have put to death the Messiah Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of Allah. They did not kill him nor did they crucify him, but they thought they did. Those who disagreed about him were in doubt concerning his death, for what they knew about it was sheer conjecture. They were not sure that they had slain him. Allah lifted him up to his presence, unquote. Now, again, when we exegeted that term uh, earlier, we exegeted the term docetism. And we talked about how in the Greek that word means to seem. And this is what Muslims teach. This is what Islam teaches. Islam teaches a docetistic view of the resurrection of Jesus, not only the resurrection, but the crucifixion. As I just read from Islam's own teachings, they disagreed about him and were in doubt concerning his death, that surah reads. Okay, so as heretical doctrines go, docetism is a close cousin to what is known as Gnosticism. Mm -hmm. Gnosticism is spelled G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, Gnosticism. Now, the word Gnosticism is derived from the Greek word gnosis, meaning to know. And the website Got Questions has great information regarding this heresy called Gnosticism. I want to quote from that website because this is absolutely great. Quote, Gnosticism was perhaps the most dangerous heresy that threatened the early church during the first three centuries. 
Influenced by such philosophers as Plato, Gnosticism is based on two false premises. First, it espouses a dualism regarding spirit and matter. And this is why the, the, the resurrection of Jesus and the fact that he had a real human body is so important. First, it espouses a dualism regarding spirit and matter. Gnostics assert that matter is inherently evil and mm-hmm. spirit is good. Mm-hmm. As a result of this presupposition, Gnostics believe anything done in the body, even the grossest sin, has no meaning because real life exists in the spirit realm only. Mm-hmm. Second, Gnostics claim to possess an elevated knowledge, a quote unquote higher truth known only to a certain few. We will call that woke today. Uh, <laughs> Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. Gnostics Mm -hmm. claim to possess a higher knowledge, not from the Bible, but acquired on some mystical higher plane of existence. Gnostics see themselves as a privileged class elevated above everybody else by their higher, deeper knowledge of God. So when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, it's not only a doctrine that we as Christians must believe. It is a doctrine we must also be prepared to defend. That's good. That's why I'm spending so much time going into from a historical background about how the church over history, over its history has had to defend the resurrection from a doctrinal standpoint. Mm -hmm. You see, we can't just walk in the church in a couple of Sundays when we commemorate Christ's resurrection and sing up from the grave he arose. Right. Well, you know, what do you know doctrinally mm-hmm. about him rising from the grave? That's what we need to talk. That's what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Listen to what D.A. Carson, D.A. Carson underscores this point in his book, Scandalous, The Cross and Resurrection of Jesus. This is D.A. Carson. I'm going to quote from his book, Scandalous, The Cross and Resurrection of Jesus. Quote, When we say Jesus is the Christ, we inevitably include in the confession the substance of Jesus's person, his crucifixion, his resurrection, for we live this side of those great events. We cannot think of him, that is, we cannot think of Jesus without thinking of his cross and resurrection. Now, to my earlier point about what's going to happen here in a couple of Sundays, there are going to be many songs sung on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, however you want to call it. There will be many songs sung on Easter Sunday touting the resurrection of Jesus. But before a single lyric proceeds from our mouth, we must be honest enough to examine ourselves and ask these questions. Do I really understand what I'm singing about? That's question number one. Do I really understand what I'm singing about? Question number two, have I placed myself, my faith rather, have I placed my faith in the Christ about whom these lyrics were written? Mm. Have I placed my faith in the Christ about whom these lyrics were written? Number three, am I convinced in my own heart that Jesus Christ is God incarnate? That is that he came into this world with a real human body. He came into this world as humanity. His flesh was like yours and mine. 
Am I convinced in my own heart that Jesus Christ is God incarnate and that he died and rose bodily from the dead? And lastly, am I relying on the substitutionary work of Christ to satisfy God's wrath against my sin? Mm. Or am I hoping in the merits of my own works? That's good. So when we walk in, when we fit and the churches are going to be packed as they always are, they're going to be packed here in a couple Sundays. And we're going to open up our worship programs and we're going to see all these hymns listed that we're going to sing about the resurrection. And it will be hypocritical of us. It will be disingenuous of us to sing these songs, knowing in our heart that we have no clue about what these songs are talking about. We have no clue. You see, I asked these aforementioned four questions in light of what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Mm -hmm. that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's in that context, it's against those words in Romans 10, 9, that I ask these questions. Do you really understand what you're going to be singing about here in a couple of Sundays? Have you faith? Have you placed your faith in Christ, in the Christ about whom those songs were written? Are you convinced in your heart that Christ is God incarnate and that he died and rose bodily from the dead? Are you relying on the substitutionary work of Christ to satisfy God's wrath toward your sin? Or are you hoping in your own merits and your in, in the merits of your own works? What are you hoping in Christ's work or your works? So from there, the question becomes saved from what? So Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the question becomes saved from what? Mm-hmm. Or better yet, saved from whom? Well, the answer is saved from God. I say that based on these words from the Apostle John in John 3, 36. John writes this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides. That is a present reality. That is a present-day reality. It's not just that the wrath of God is going to abide on you on Judgment Day. His wrath abides on you now if you're not a believer. Conversely, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, this is Apostle Paul speaking of Jesus, that there's going to come a time where Jesus is going to be dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So you ask again, saved from what or saved from whom? You're going to be saved from God. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So in view of these texts that we've just read, the question also becomes in what specific respect are we to obey the Son? So we just read in John 3.36 and 2 Thessalonians 1 that God's wrath awaits those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 
So the question becomes, in what specific respect are we to obey the son? Well, the answer to that question is found in Mark chapter one, verse 15, where in the very first sermon Jesus preached, subsequent to being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. So it is in that respect that we are to obey Jesus Christ. First and foremost, repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus Christ died bodily on a cross and rose bodily from the grave. But not only did Christ die on a cross, he was abused and maligned on his way to the cross. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 16 through 20 and also verses 29 through 32. This is Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 20, and then verses 29 through 32. Now, why do I want to read these verses? Why do I want to emphasize what Christ went through on his way to the cross? Because of all the sermons you're going to hear two weeks from now, and this is a historical fact. You can go back years. No one ever preaches on what Jesus went through on his way to the cross. The sermons always start and end at the cross but we seem to overlook and skip over what he went through on his way there. Listen to what Mark writes in Mark chapter 15. The soldiers took him away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together the whole Roman cohort. They dressed him, that is Jesus, they dressed him up in purple, and after twisting a crown of thorns, now imagine having a crown of thorns twisted into your scalp. Mm-hmm. They And after twisting a crown of thorns, they put it on him and they began to acclaim him, Hail, King of the Jews. They kept beating his head with a reed. But they're beating Jesus. They kept beating his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling and bowing before him. Now, this is all happening on his way to the cross, on his way to being nailed to a cross. Verse 20, after they had mocked him, they took the purple robe off him and put his own garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, ha, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Now all this happened on the way to the cross, then obviously on the cross. But Jesus was abused. He suffered on his way to the cross, beating him in his head with a reed, spitting on him, mocking him. Any thoughts, Omaha? I do, man. It's amazing as you read through that. I was following you closely, just wanted to take in all of what, you were saying uh, w- without interruption, 
because I think it is important for those who listen to uh, our, our podcast to know that that the reason we do what we do, the reason we're able to, we as as brothers who still haven't met one another in person are able to come together and have a have, be be in this forum and in a united cause for the cause and sake of the gospel of Christ is because of what was done over 2000 years ago on a cross. Amen. Right. Amen. The, the, the pinnacle of all of human history hinges upon what you just walked us through. Everything that everything that preceded it points to it. Everything that's after it points back to it. I mean, it's just this is everything. And and I love what you the point you made earlier when you talked about the fact that there'll be so many people who will be inside of churches um, just singing songs that they've not given thought to the, the, the mm-hmm. gospel is a command. Mm-hmm. Amen, it, brother. Is, it, it is Preach. not a, it is not a suggestion. It is not a, a, a noble idea. It's not a, it's not simply a, a day event, a, a, a one-time thing where you, you get together dressed in your finest clothes, show up at church, go out to eat and call it good. This come on, bro. Come on. Ev- everything stops. Everything stops. And requires you to respond. And and either yeah, we, we, we accept what Christ has done on a cross on our behalf, or we reject that free gift given to us as payment in full for mm-hmm. our sins against the sovereign. Mm-hmm. And if we if, if we go by that day and simply sing some songs, dress up and and, and go out to eat, man, we, we we we've completely missed everything that you just walked us through so thoroughly. And uh, man, my prayer would be that no one, no one would miss that. That, that, that not a person who my, my, my prayer alongside yours, I'm sure, is that anybody who who darkens the door of a church where the gospel is being preached would respond to that command to repent Amen. and believe the gospel of Jesus Amen. Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for that, man. Thank you so much, brother. Wow. That was powerful, Omaha. Seriously. Thank you for that, man. Uh, listen. Listen, please, my dear brother and sister, listen, I beg you to listen closely to what I'm about to say to you in these closing moments of the Just Thinking broadcast. Please listen to what I'm about to say. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, not only does your life have no meaning, Mm. life itself has no meaning. Yeah. None. I'm going to repeat that. If Christ did not rise, from the dead, not only does your life have no meaning, life itself has zero meaning. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But thankfully, Paul doesn't stop there. Mm-hmm. He goes on to say in verses 20 through 22 of that same chapter, But now Christ has been raised from the dead. That's what we've been talking about over the entirety of this episode, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ 
all will be made alive. In John 17, 3, Jesus himself defines what true eternal life is. Jesus himself defines it. He says this, that means nothing else. This and nothing else is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's John 17, 3. Eternal life. There you have the definition of eternal life in Jesus' own words. Eternal life is that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, as we prepare to close out this episode of the Just Thinking Broadcast, I want to urge those of you who are listening, who have not trusted in the risen Christ for the forgiveness of your sins to humble yourself and place your faith in him right now, today. As Omaha was just saying, respond. You do not have to wait until Easter Sunday to do that. If you're listening to this episode right now, you can place your faith in Christ right now. We read Romans 10, 9 earlier. If you confess with your mouth, and believe in your heart, you will be saved. You will be. No matter what you've done, no matter to what depths of sin you have been engaged in, the love of Jesus is deeper and reaches farther than your sin. All you need do is what we read earlier in Romans 10, 9, as I just said a second ago. You confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Islam, with its five pillars, cannot save you. Buddhism, with its four noble truths, cannot save you. Mormonism, with its polytheism, cannot save you. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can save you. Only that. This, Jesus said, is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God. There's only one true God. There's only one. His name is Jesus Christ. If you are not a believer in Christ, I beg you, I plead with you. You may not have until Easter Sunday to do this. Mm. I plead with you to trust him today. Now I want to close with this urgent plea from the Prince of Preachers, the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon. Mm. This is from a sermon he delivered on Sunday morning, December 14th, 1856. Listen to these words. This is Charles Spurgeon from 1856. Have you faith? Oh, answer it yes or no. Leave off saying, I do not know or I do not care. Ah, you will care one day when the earth is reeling 
and the world is tossing to and fro. You will care when God shall summon you to judgment and when he shall condemn the faithless and the unbelieving. Oh, that you were wise, that you would care now. And if any of you feel your need of Christ, let me beg of you for Christ's sake now to seek faith in him who is exalted on high, to give repentance and remission, and who, if he has given you repentance, will give you remission too. O sinners who know your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Cast yourselves upon his love and blood, his doing and his dying, his miseries and his merits. And if you do this, you shall never fall, but you shall be saved now and saved in that great day when not to be saved will be horrible indeed. Unquote. 